are. Houston, we've got a problem. Hey, Tex, it's good to see you, Tex. I love you too. I love you too. It's nice to see you. Woo! Don't bust out a song on me now. Don't you do that. Don't you do that. Okay, now. Okay, thank you, Tex. I love you. All right, okay, all right. Well, it's good to have you guys. I'm so glad that you guys are here. Um, I am trying to set up here. Uh, I apologize. I think we have um, a little bit of a technical difficulty here, but I think we're set up. Okay, great. Well, it's good, to, it's good to have you guys. I'm glad that you are here. We are in our series, Back to the Future. Um, to some of you, know, I'm not going to show you a video this week, but as you know, we were uh, talking uh, in the last couple of weeks about prayer and how important it is for us to recognize that we got to go back to the first century in order to get us into the future. Amen? All right, so if we've got to learn something from the past, from the first century, or even before that, we want to understand that we've got to learn to get back to the basics, but understand that maybe with prayer, we haven't really touched on it because we're so frustrated, we're so uncertain of what the future is in what's so uncertain for the future in front of us that we're challenged to believe that God is actually going to do something awesome when all we see and all we hear and all we experience is difficulty. And when we're uncertain, what happens is we, the uncertainty increases and our certainty decreases because we're looking at the time now and looking at what we see with our eyes, but the Bible talks us not to look only on what we see with our eyes, but we have to look to the unseen. And the unseen is where the impossibility of God, God can bring about what's impossible to man, possible, because we see that in the scriptures. Now, I get excited because when I see something and it's uncertain, I know God is one who I can be placing my trust in who is certain. And if my faith is in the certain and not in the uncertain, then I could trust that I could believe God to be certain that he knows what's coming in front of me and I could trust him for it, even if I can't control it. Amen? And you're like, okay, amen, Bruno. You're just getting started. Amen. Amen, Bruno. Okay, let Bruno rant a little bit. Let him do his thing. And if he does his thing, then we'll let him go until we can have to hear him anymore. Well, here, let me just share something with you because I've asked a question. The, the culture of belief is what we're going to talk about today. So I've asked the question, do we attempt to determine the outcome before or during our prayers? Meaning, do we go to the Lord already determinant with our wisdom and our intellect saying, well, I know how this is all going to turn out, but Lord, I'll pray anyway. Or while we're praying, we're like, well, you know what? I just don't see how this can happen. So you know what, God? I'm going to control it right now in the midst of this prayer, and I'm going to figure out what it's going to be. But I'll come to you because you tell me to come to you anyway. Now, some of us, we can do that. I know at times in my life, let me, let me raise my hand. I could do that sometimes. I can go before the Lord and say, well, Lord, I'll pray. But you know what? I'm just not sure it's going to turn out the way that I hoped it would. So I'll just pray and say I prayed. Or while I'm during the prayer, I'm like, boy, I'm really enjoying your presence, but Lord, I really hope you can turn it out the way that I want you to. <laughs> I'm hoping it'll all work out the way I want it. See, God, is he calling us to that? Because see, what I try to do, I'll put myself there, I try to control it. 
I try to wrap myself around it and saying, I got this. I know what's going to happen, so it's all good. Because uncertainty makes me feel uncomfortable. And when I'm uncomfortable, it can be painful. And when it's painful, I want to get rid of the pain. Haven't got time for the pain. So I go, no, I don't want to have time for it. So you know what? I'm going to let it go. I'm going to control it. You know, I looked up uh, an article. It says, Seven Situations Beyond Our Control by a gentleman by the name of Frank Sonnenberg. He's, a lead, he's in leadership, and he said there are seven things. One is miracles, he said. He said, some folks want the sun to set on a different time. Well, that's just not going to happen, he said. Number two, certainty. Some people demand guarantees even when there aren't any. <laughs> Number three, status quo. Some folks dis dislike change and expect the world to stand still for them. How's that working for you, he said. <laughs> Unforeseen events. Some people want everything to go according to plan. He said, good luck with that. Number, number five, he says, human nature. Some folks try to force their will on others. The reality is people change when change is in their choice. Six, perfection. Some people expect perfection and work hard to attain it. They get anxious even if it eludes them. Seven, history. Some folks can't let it go. They relive the past, hoping to change history. So, see, the bottom line is it's a, it's a challenge because we want to be in control. And how difficult it is when we're praying and we want to be able to determine the outcome, but we can't because we're really not in control when we pray or determine where it comes out. Then ask the next question. What part does faith play in our prayers? What part does faith play? And many of the statements that Jesus made in the book of Matthew and other books of the gospel, he talked a lot about faith in the book of Matthew. But there's one incident in which he talked to his disciples in chapter 21, 18 through 22. And I just want to read that um, to you. It says, the fig tree has leaves showing life on a fig tree. So he's going he's to highlight some of that. He says, in the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went into it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. <laughs> he just plays judgment on the tree. Wow. I mean, that's power, right? Um, and he says, and the fig tree withered at once. Then you have verse 20, okay? Then you're looking at verse 20. And as you see, it's highlighted here. Uh, he says, and when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how did the fig tree wither at once? He goes, and truly, he goes on to say this, and Jesus answered, truly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to this fig tree, but even if you said or say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive it if you have faith. Now, understand that the fig tree has leaves that's showing life, but it was not bearing any fruit, and therefore Jesus performed the supernatural act. What was that? He commanded the tree not to bear fruit anymore. That's a supernatural act. Can you do it? 
Can I do it? How many of you got fig trees? I know that Steve Collinon has a fig tree, and uh, he gave some, some to us. I grew up where my uncle had a fig tree. My father-in-law had fig trees. We, as Italians, we love figs. But I'll tell you, I've never, ever in my life, as many fig trees as I've seen, ever said, hey, stop bearing fruit, because it's a supernatural act. No one, none of us can do that, but God can. Jesus can. And it says, and just a quick note to highlight, too, is that in the book of Mark, this episode happened as well. But Matthew said immediately, but his timing was off in certain episodes, certain situations. And Mark would seem to be probably closer to the episode. Mark said it was a day later. Matthew seemed to have possibly thought it was immediately. Um, But whatever the case, we know that it happened. And then he goes on to say this, he truly I say to you, this is emphatic, with great veracity, because the Son of God claimed, he says, I say this to you as a true statement. He says, if you have faith. Now, faith means this, the state of believing on the basis of reliability on the one trusted. So we have confidence, and we know that the one we trust is reliable. There's certainty. So faith is a noun identifying the object and the definition of the term. So the object is God as he performs salvation through his offering of his son, depositing the Holy Spirit after one believes, abiding in this relationship that God has established and desiring his will and his plan over any or other desires or plans. So if we have faith, it's not as though it's some kind of magical statement. Well, if I have faith, I can get whatever I want. If I have faith, I can get a new car. If I have faith, I can get a boat. If I have faith, I can get a plane. If I have all this faith, I can get anything I want. No, that's not what he's saying there. He's saying when you have faith, it's a noun. When you have faith in God and you place your faith in God and have a relationship with him and you're abiding in him and enjoying him and knowing that he loves you, When you and I ask for something, it won't be a selfish desire. It will be according to his will. We will desire to be with him. Do you know he created us to have relationship with him? And when we pray, we enjoy him, and we have relationship, we abide in him. It's not as though everything's going to go the way that we want to, but when we enjoy him and we spend time with him, it doesn't matter what goes on because we're enjoying him. And we're spending time with him. And then we're, de- we're depending on him and we're leaning on him. It's our pride that holds us back when we don't want to lean on him as much. Because in America, we want to be independent. But the Bible says for us to be dependent on God. And so we need to be dependent on God. And he's saying, if you ask in faith, you, again, when he's talking about this faith, he says, and do not doubt. Well, let's watch out this because the word doubt means to be uncertain. At odds with oneself. Watch this now. Watch this. Watch this. So you go, he's, a person's uncertain at odds with themselves when they doubt. Because what he's saying, he's saying, doubting and wavering. This is what he means. He says, the person who doubts is uncertain because this person is at odds with oneself. Why? Because this person is trusting in oneself to accomplish the impossible of only no he can do, of only God can do. And so when we do is when we doubt, we think we can't make sense of it, so therefore we don't think it could ever happen. So we're uncertain. But the concern is that this person becomes excessively worried and fearful, blaming others for the outcome, frustrated with the outcome because it doesn't turn out the way he or she wants it. That's what doubting is. In fact, James talks about in chapter 1, verses 5 and through 8, he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, 
and it will be given to him. But let him ask in what? Let him ask in what? Faith without doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea is driven, tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. That's the Lord saying it, not me. So what he's saying is that if we lack faith and we're doubting and doubting consumes us because we can't make odds of what's going on, then we lack faith. And if we lack faith, then it's not going to happen according to the will of God. Because he goes on to say he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. This is why it's important for us. See, when we doubt, we experience uncertainty, which leads to pain. And when we, want, we, when we go through the pain and it doesn't go away, we'll do whatever we can to remove it. But faith in Christ causes the believer to endure through the pain and accept God's will. You know, in a, in a song that I was singing this morning, Everything's Gonna Be All Right, Todo Va a Estar Bien. There is a name, he says, at the beginning of the song, he said, there is a name that can be silenced, that can silence every fear. And there's a love that embraces the heartache, the pain, and the fears. Through my faith and my doubting, I know of one thing for sure. His word is unfailing and his promise is secure. I love the words because when we are spending time in the Lord looking to him, he will work all things out. It says at the end of chapter 22, uh, or excuse me, verse 22 of chapter 21, he goes on this and says, and whatever you ask, you will receive if you have faith. He says he will not give his disciples their every impulse and longing. He will only grant those things that align with his will and his plan for his kingdom. That's what he's saying. We need to rest in the Lord. We need to believe God for the impossible. And so, so I'm going to just share a couple of things here. We, we, we as a people of God, we need to believe God in and for the impossible by praying. This is what we need to be praying. One is we need for, to pray for the possible in impossible situations. Now, I want to I just share with you a couple of episodes in the scriptures that tells us that. It says, how did Jesus pray in the impossible? Okay, let's just look at a second. How did he, how did he pray? Well, we know that Matthew 26, 39 says this, and going a little further, as he has, it was at Gethsemane, when at once we understand that he was about to take the sin of mankind upon the cross, it says, and going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed. This is Jesus saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. That's how we see Jesus dealing with what we call, man calls impossible, but only possible with God. What's the impossible act for you and I to pay for the debt of sin? That's impossible. That's a miracle when it happens. When a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ, it's a miracle. It's a miracle because you and I, no man can pay for their sin. No man, it's an impossible act. But we forget that God, what, made, what was impossible to man, God made possible. By sending his son to die on the cross for sin, to become the perfect substitutionary atonement for sin. So you and I would have the opportunity. We don't deserve it undeservingly. It's grace. It's mercy. The regeneration, the washing, the cleansing, the redemption, the restoration is all from God. It's not from us. We forget sometimes when we're walking with him that we deserve it. Everything we've done in Christ, that we deserve accolades and awards, but we don't. We don't deserve anything. 
we know that God made it possible from the impossible. Number two, how do, we, how do Mary deal with the impossible? What did she say? Luke 1, 37 and 38, it says, For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And he says, See, the impossible was for man to have a virgin, have child. I know right now men are trying to have children. That's crazy. Y'all don't know that something's happening right now where men are trying to be impregnated with children right now. They're working it. They're trying to make it happen. It's impossible. It's impossible. Well, just as it's impossible for a virgin to have it with child, but yet God made all things possible, and he sent his son, and he sent his son through the virgin Mary. And when a woman of faith hears that God, through an angel, told her, well, you will have a child without a natural process that I've created, how, how would she respond to that? She didn't say, what you talking about, God? No way. Not going to happen. She just said, as you so desire, according to your word and will, Lord. See, God made what was impossible possible. Let's look at another situation. Let's look at just one more situation. It says Joshua. When Joshua was fighting to get to the promised land with the millions of Israelites that were with him, he talked to the Lord. It says in verse 12, it says, and at that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord. You know, remember what God said to Joshua be strong and courageous. Do not fear, I will be with you. Here, he said, at the time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in that day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel and in his sight of Israel. Son, stand still at Gibeon. He commanded the sun to stand still. And the moon in the valley of Ijalon. And the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. That is only God and God alone. God can do this. Even in a quote from a commentary, I wrote it says that the Old Testament expert Gleason Archer points out the phrase that hasted not to go down. And verse 13 indicates a slower of the movement, he says, and a not a complete cessation. He says, the sun and the moon didn't stand still permanently and then suddenly go down, but were held back so that daylight was lengthened. God stopped the sun and the moon and then retarded the rotation of the planet so that the sun and the moon set very slowly. Such a process could not create chaos all over the globe. Only God. That which is impossible, only God can make possible. See, all things are possible with God, and nothing is too difficult to him. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, said this, as he said, Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by the great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. And then he goes on, he says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? Nothing is impossible with God. When we see uncertainty and impossibilities in front of us, nothing is impossible for God. The question is, is it impossible because it's not the way we want it to turn out? Or is it that we need to just trust that God knows best because impossibilities God can make possible? We don't know what's in front of us, even though it's uncertain with the unknowns. But we know when we pray and we seek the Lord, he will work it out. We just need to rest in him. 
And when we do, people will see a difference in us. And when they see a difference in us, they're going to say, how come you're so calm in the midst of this impossibility, this difficulty, this trial, this tribulation of the uncertainty of this world that we're living in? How come you're so calm? Well, let me tell you about it. (laughs) And you can start singing without singing a tune about Jesus and what he's done for you, what he's done by sending God, sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sin, by the impossible act he made possible. And so that's where belief, the culture of belief, we have to continue to believe that God has a plan. So as we're looking at the book of Acts, one little episode, here's another impossible situation. And look with me to chapter 12 of Acts, because here again, the people of God came together and prayed. They came together and prayed. Let me just read this to you. It says, and about the time of Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword, the sons of Zebedee, John the apostle. That's his brother. He killed. He had him killed. And when he saw it, it pleased the Jews. He proceeded to arrest Peter also. So here's King Agrippa I, who is the grandson of King Herod the Great. And here, King Agrippa wanted the Jews to be pleased, so therefore he took it upon himself to make sure that these so-called Christians, the people of the way, and at this time were called Christians, because in chapter 11 they were called Christians in Antioch, that they're Christians in the church of Jerusalem, and he said, let me do something real pleasing to the Jews. Let me make sure that they're killed. It wasn't that they were a threat to him, but he wanted to do something to please And so here he is, taking matters into his own hands, and Peter was toast, as we would say, um, because he was arrested, and this was in the days during of the unleavened bread. Now, he wasn't allowed to be killed at this time in what they would call a feast because he didn't want to displease the Jews, so he wanted to wait till afterwards. So he had Peter in jail, and God said, that's all I need, just a moment to show my possibility in the midst of an impossible situation. So he goes on, it says, and when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivered him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people because he was about to be executed. Now, what in the world did Peter do to, to, to deserve 16, or 16 soldiers around him to guard him? What in the world? Now, four squads is four in each squad, and what they did was they would chain two to him, and then two would be outside guarding it. And every three hours, they would have to switch to stay alert all around the clock. Now, what in the world did Peter do to threaten the king as he was threatening the Jews? Because it was against his plan. It was against the Jews' plans. And so he was a threat. But how much of a threat was he? How often do we find ourselves wondering? Because what did the church do at this point? What were they supposed to do? Remember, this is Satan's response. This is Satan's response. I mean, I don't know about you, but there is no way that Peter was going to get out. There was no way because you can't call Cousin Vinny to come and get him out. Wait a minute, Vinny's from Rome, so they wouldn't use him. He would be from there. So you can't call Cousin Vinny to get him out. But how impossible is that in that situation? From a spiritual perspective, Satan, this was Satan's response. Because He wasn't a criminal to what we would understand as a criminal. But Satan is the God of this age, and the Lord, Yahweh, allowed this incredible, impossible situation to happen so that he can show himself. 
And so we have to understand and recognize that as a whole, what, what we're doing is we're seeing that this is what God has to show us, that we believe God in and for and impossible when we pray with passion and with perseverance for God's plan. Look with me to verse 5. It says, so Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. So when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains and sentries before the door was guarded for the prison. So we understand that Peter was in there. What does the church do? They plead with King Herod to let Peter go, right? No. They write a convincing letter to the emperor of Rome pleading for his release. No. They strategize a plan to distract the guards, steal the keys, knock them out, and help Peter escape. No, no, that ain't going to work. They accept Peter's imprisonment as God's will and try not to speak out as much, become friends with the Jews, and stay safe and not get caught. No. They didn't do anything else but what? Pray. Because they created a culture of prayer. A culture of boldness which establishes a culture of belief. When we're doubting, when we're not sure, we need to spend that time in prayer. God's called us. A culture of belief is when the people of God believe the impossible and not try to figure it out of their future for their own experience. Does that mean we should not try to strategize and plan? Of course not. Does that mean we should not think about the future? Of course not. Does that mean that we should just sit down and let God and let go and not talk about it? No. But how much time do we spend doubting and wondering, worrying and fearful that we're not praying? If you need to do all of us an evaluation of our lives and ask the question, how often are we praying about something or talking about it? Watch now, because we are all guilty of this. <laughs> all of us. We'll talk more about a situation than pray about the situation. But what it would look like for the church if we prayed more about it and talked less about it? Amen. What would God do if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves? I mean, that's, that's what God's calling us to do as a people of God in the midst of an impossibility. Then we learn to trust him. Then we learn to trust in God's character. Then we know we're trusting in the certainty of the situation, not the uncertainty. And then we ask God to lead us and direct us, to give us wisdom and clarity and direction, to draw close to him and surrender in obedience and believe him for the future. That's what they were doing. See, earnestly means to being persevering, to being persevering. That's what it means. I don't sound right. To being persevering, eagerly, fervently, and constantly. When we're constantly praying with eagerness and persevering and, 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 and fervently looking to God, then there's no room for worrying, complaining, and fearing. Notice I didn't say that you shouldn't worry or complain or fear. That's up to all of us asking that question. Should I not? Well, of course, we're going to naturally do that. But watch this. What I'm saying is that when you're praying, when we're praying fervently and constantly with perseverance, then only then will you and I have, that, have no time to worry and fear, and complain. That's what God is telling. He says, he says, because we always have the capacity to worry, to fear, and complain, but we don't have to if we're praying. 
Can I get a witness? Just one. Thank you. Thank you, Tex. All right. So all of a sudden, believing becomes possible because God will make all things possible when we're praying to him. You know, I read, I want to read something to you here. It says, um, God does nothing in ministry apart from prayer. David Jeremiah stated this in his book in 1997, Prayer, the Great Adventure. He said this, he said, I scoured the New Testament some time ago looking for things God does in ministry that are not prompted by prayer. Do you know what I found? Nothing. I don't mean I had trouble finding an item or two. I mean I found nothing. Everything God does is in the, in the work of the ministry. He does through prayer. You got to understand this. He says prayer is the way you defeat the devil. Amen? Prayer is the way you get the law saved. Amen? Prayer is the way you acquire wisdom. Amen? Prayer is the way of bringing a black backslider to get restored. Amen? Prayer is how saints get strengthened. Amen? Prayer is the way to get laborers out on the mission field. Prayer is how we cure the sick. Prayer is how we accomplish the impossible. That's how we do it, through prayer. See, God doesn't call people to just believe the possible, but the impossible. That's what he's calling us to do. And even in this situation with Peter, it was God's plan to use Peter to advance the kingdom of God through establishing of the local church. God wasn't done with Peter. So although it looked impossible for Peter to get out of there because he was about to be executed, God said, let me just step in a second and get my servant out. And he did. He said, bing, bing, and the, and, and the chain just popped open. It's like a little magic trick. Bing, 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 bing. And he would just go on and let everybody out as he sees fit because that's God's will. See, we have to understand Peter was in God's will to be set free. And that's what God is calling us not to believe in the possible, but the impossible. So even in all of that we're going through, when we see an impossible situation, we need to believe God to make it possible according to his will. So whenever we ask with faith, it's not according to our will, it's according to his will. And we look to him. Because when we do, we'll be amazed of what God is going to establish. Well, obviously we know the story, and Peter gets out of jail, and the Lord delivers him from there, and then he goes to knock on the door of, of Mary's house, and it's a big house because they all gathered together, as we know, in the upper room. But what was strange is that people didn't believe it at first. They thought it was a ghost. They weren't sure either. So we all can doubt. We all can question. Maybe they were struggling, saying this is God's will, that Peter would be executed, and they had to continue to move because Jesus himself was, was again, he, he had to die and then resurrect and ascend, and ascend into heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. But here in chapter 12 and verse 17, it says, but what did Peter do after they found out it was Peter? It says, but motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, tell these to James and to the brothers, James, the half-brother of Jesus, who is the leader of the church of Jerusalem. And then he departed and went to another place. I mean, he had a story to share. How many of us, we understand when we pray to God to perform the impossible, we will have an amazing story to share. Because only God can do it. But we have to believe that. We have to believe that. 
And God wants to do that because he wants to show himself off. He wants to get glory to himself, not we don't get the glory he does. I've got a story to share from, with you from the voice of the martyrs. I don't know how many of you get um, this magazine, but it's an amazing magazine of Christians that are persecuted all around the world. Um, there's a story about a young woman, Sanjana, who is in Egypt, outside of just the Cairo area. She was brought up as a Muslim, and she communed with, around in her area, with Coptic Christians. When she was at school, or, you know, she was amazed and impressed how her Christian schoolmates were humbled and were humble people when they were being beaten by Muslims. She was just impressed by that, so impressed that at 13, she went to a teacher to ask, a Christian teacher to ask about the faith, the Christian faith. Well, that woman was afraid because if the Muslims found out, she could too be killed. So she said, go meet with my neighbor who is a Christian. And so she did and says, and as she went to meet with her neighbor, Sanjana received a copy of the Gospel of Matthew, but she had to hide it. So it says in the article that she wrapped it in a plastic bag and hid it in a hole in the ground. And after reading it for some time, after two years, she trusted in Christ. Now, to trust in Christ is not like here in America. You can trust in Christ, but hide it. You know, you, we do have some freedoms here. You can be a Christian or not a Christian. But in this case, obviously, in a third world country, if they found out that you were a Christian, you could be killed, especially around Muslims. Well, her father and her family were Muslims, and so she came home, and her father noticed and heard about her new faith. And her father predictably beat her. So she got beaten by her father. He says, what is this nonsense you're talking about? You are, you are a part of a Muslim family. My sons and my daughters will be Muslims. Our grandfathers, all of our generational people were Muslims. So she tried really hard in hiding to attend a church nearby. And as she did, this Egyptian Orthodox church, the Egyptian Orthodox church made sure people got tattoos. They actually got tattoos to come in as kind of a way to get into the church because so many were disguising themselves as, as Muslims were coming in. They wanted to make sure that they were Christians who were coming in. So Sanjana ended up getting it. She got what she, what she wanted to do. She wanted to get a tattoo. Well, she did, and her father found out. And her father says, denounce this Christianity. She said, I will not. I believe in Jesus. Well, he locked her up, tied her up, threw her in a, in a room for three years, beat her to almost to death starved her so that she would change her mind. And she didn't. In fact, she said they had family beating parties. They just beat her as family, as an entire family. They just went in there and just beat her for three years. As they continued to do that, she didn't give in. They even tried to pour acid on her arm to remove the tattoo. Finally, they did the most humiliating thing they could ever do. Her father and her brother bought an iman to rape her. To rape her, to humiliate her, she, she would give in. And she didn't. Her pastor said, I don't know how she made it. They wanted to destroy her. They went so far as not only raping her and sexually abusing her, 
They gave her a husband as a Muslim, and he did the same thing for a year. Totally beat her to death, practically. And the pastor said, I don't even know how she survived it. She was able to escape. And her sister, seeing what was happening, came to Christ too. She escaped, but she didn't escape too long because they found her and they brought her back and they tortured her some more. Finally, the husband said, I'm not getting anywhere with this woman, and they divorced. She was able to get away. Later in years, 2016, she was baptized. This is what she said. She said, as for why she never rejected her faith in Christ during the years of her severe abuse, she gave a sound biblical example. Suppose I was living in the pigsty like the prodigal son. She said, then you cleaned me, you washed me, eating clean food and wearing clean clothes. How can I go back just to escape suffering? I am an ambassador to my God now. How can I become a slave once again? She wrote on and said this. She goes, whatever I do for the Lord, she said, I can never give him what he has given me. I regret all the years that have passed without knowing him. We are a selfish, entitled people, guys. I'm sorry, I'm including myself. These people are being brutalized and tortured for the name of Jesus. And the attitude that comes out of that, she said, I'll never leave him. We have a few couple of bad days. Someone changes our plans. And we, we're off the rails. Guys, we got to stop. We got to be serious about this faith. We got to get serious about prayer, serious about seeking God, serious about believing in the certainty of Jesus and leaning on him, because when we do, we'll be a changed people, and God will see us changed. And then you know what was impressive about her life? She said it was that Christian at the beginning of her life who was humbled when they were being beaten, and her sister saw the example in her and came to faith. What kind of example can we be to the world? If we're praying, we're better together when we're praying. When they earnestly prayed for Peter, it says they were constantly, fervently, earnestly praying. I ask you and I the question, are we earnestly, fervently praying to God? I know how I can answer that. But you're responsible to answer that. We need to be constantly, fervently, eagerly praying and asking God to do a work in us. If you have an impossible situation, let me just encourage you one thing as your pastor. I'm going to ask you one diagnostic question. Have you been praying about it? Only you can answer that. May we be a people who believe in the impossible because God can make things, all things possible. Let's pray. God, thank you for saving Sanjana's life and rescuing her. Thank you for rescuing her from torture and a brutal beating. I can't say my life has ever been anything close or imaginable to that. It's breaking my heart to even share this story. God, we need you to change our hearts 
to be a people of God who seek and chase after you, who hunger and thirst for your presence. Lord, there are some uncertainties in our midst, some impossibilities, but all things are possible with you. But I ask this question, Lord, have we been praying about it? How much better we would be as a people of God if we come together and pray together. We would be more powerful for the kingdom of God, more powerful for our community, more powerful for those who are seeking and searching for certainty. Father, I pray that you would challenge our hearts today to look to you, to be about you, the certainty of our faith. Lord, I doubt, I fear, I worry, I, I'm going to say it, At times, I'm overwhelmed, but Lord, I know there's one thing as certain, that you are God, and that you are faithful, and you're merciful and gracious, and that you receive me despite me or in spite of me. So Lord, please, I pray for all of us that we would be a people of God, constantly, fervently, eagerly seeking your throne, and praying about our situations and not get caught up doubting, worrying, fearful, or complaining. God, I'm grateful Sanjana could have done all that, but she didn't. She worshiped you. She adored you. She saw your hand in her life. God, may we see that as you, you saved Peter, you can even save us as your people here in this nation and in this world. For your honor, your glory, and your praise in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, Amen. all right, God bless you. We'll see you guys soon.